Welcome to Anime Ichiban Goomba Stomp's dedicated anime podcast. I am your host, Count Matthew Pontier. Joining me this week is Duke Kyle Rogachon. Oh, my Duke. And Marquise Harry Morris. Oh, boo. Ah, oh, scary. It's me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> me, but monstified. Oh, <laughs> we need to work on your oh. guys' yes and skills. Anyway. Did, uh, uh, did Matt just drop out of the call? He did just drop out. And he's rejoined. I'm back. I think that we was keep, weird. I think we should keep it in. Yeah, well, let's just keep on rolling. I, I dropped out of the Discord call and came back in. Just, just, so just to let the listeners know, we just had the doo doo as uh, someone dropped out of the Discord call. So, yeah, that yeah. is a really yeah. professional way to start this episode. Ian Scott. Anyways, yes, we need to work on your guys' yes Andy skills, is what I was saying. But <laughs> we are recording this episode on Halloween Day, October 31st, 2021. But that also means that all of our accents are really weird because you lovely listeners are listening to this uh, at the very earliest, early November. And it's not lo- no longer Halloween. But here we are doing Halloween voices anyways. It is our penultimate episode for Anime Each One. We got this episode and we got one more to go. Do you guys, this is, this is an odd question. Do you guys remember the exact moment you learned the word penultimate? Uh, um... No. Probably sometime in grade school, because um, I was a nerd and liked reading fantasy mm-hmm. books. Like fantasy books are probably how I like got most of my vocab. Mm-hmm. That that's fair. I think like if you were a bookworm growing up of any sort, you you picked up vocab pretty quickly. It, it this is just one of the memories that sticks out in my mind. Just the, one of those things that just like you couldn't forget even if you wanted to. So I explicitly remember in seventh grade language arts class. Um, we had a substitute teacher. Mr. Cheese was his name. And Mr. Ooh. Cheese was a very prominent pro- substitute. Like, he would sub for any class whatsoever. But it just so happened he was subbing for my language arts class. And he, wa- he walked into class like, I'm sure you kids know about the word ultimate, right? How that means last. Do you know what the w- word is for second to last? And we're like, no, Mr. Cheese, what is it? He's like, it is penultimate. And like, ooh, wow. <laughs> and for whatever reason, it's just stuck in my mind. To this day, so thank, thank you, Mr. Cheese, Thanks, Mr. Cheese, for uh, teaching me. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Cheese. <laughs> what the Cheese. word penultimate is? Yeah, it sounds like the start of a children's TV show. Thank you, Mr. Cheese, and and like some sort of children's television character called Mr. Cheese, and he's yeah, gonna and break, he's gonna like, break into the song. Stage left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, anyway. kids. Today's Latin <laughs> word is. <laughs> yes, we're not here to teach you Latin, though. We're here to talk about some anime and what's going on in the anime world uh i want to i want to get started off though because it is it is uh it is halloween at least today it won't be when you're listening but it is halloween at this moment so i i'm just curious uh do you guys have any any spooky memories involving with an anime something that like unnerved you because i know like horror isn't really a thing in anime it's uh it's usually not even done that well if it is. But can you can you think of any times where you thought like you, you've been watching stuff like, man, I'm, I'm like my skin's crawling a little bit here. It's not it's get, get, gives me the heebie jeebies. I think uh, watching uh, Donald Trump be sworn in as president. <laughs> hey, oh, uh, no, uh, I, I, I don't know. To be honest, I'm not very uh, clued in with horror. I, I know like a handful of films, but generally I'm not much of a horror fan, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Just to bring the Halloween vibes there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm asking the question, but I'm sim- in a similar boat, Harry, where I, I can't really do horror. I can't do horror films, really. I can do horror games, which is usually the opposite of what is the case for people. Like, people yeah. feel like when they're actually controlling a character, 
um, it's a lot scarier for mm. them. But for me, it's because I usually I have that agency over the character that yeah. it makes it less scary for me. But, Whereas when I'm just watching something unfold on screen, I, it's I think, a lot I, more difficult for me to separate myself out. From I, it. I think also as well, like if you're playing a fantastic video game, even if it is scary, you want to keep playing. So like one of my best gaming experiences of this year was Resident Evil Village. Really, really great. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is my horror pick for the year, I guess. Mm-hmm. I hear, I hear uh, the Dark Pictures and the new Dark Pictures anthology game is also very good in that in that mm. regard. But what about you, Kyle? Do you have? I'll, I'll just open up to just like horror in for, general, not, not just for anime, anime yeah. like explicitly horror. Um, most of that would have to probably be with Junji Ito, so not necessarily anime, mostly in the manga. Right. Uh, yeah, because I know the anime was like received relatively lukewarm. From what I can, whatever. yeah, I haven't seen it. I've just been reading Junji Ito stuff for a while. Mm. Um, all, all very good, all very good horror. Um, as far as anime, it's not explicitly a horror, but it's definitely a good thriller. I guess psychological horror, Perfect Blue, is really good. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen Perfect Blue. Satoshi Kon in general, yeah, for sure. Oh, actually, yeah, just, yeah, just Satoshi Kon stuff in, in general. Um, Paranoia Agent, another one. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen that, though. But yeah, a little, yeah, a little I, bit I, more I, of a thriller in a horror yeah i need to i need to try paranoia agent again i i tried watching it when i was first getting into anime when i was just a little young weebling and i didn't get it (laughs) i did not get it at all and so Mm. i feel like i would appreciate it more if i tried to watch it today anyways we are let's let's go ahead and jump into the news for this week so not a whole lot going on uh which is i feel like been the case a lot of the times but it works out because we got a hefty 2019 year to reminisce on for sure and so I want to start off on, and I I think we we're in agreement that one of our favorite topics to talk about on the podcast is just diversity in the industry, right? Just diversity in general. Yeah, it's, yeah, always, yeah. it's always good to see. And so there was a recent um, not interview, but a talk with uh, Minako Fujiyoshi, who is the very first female producer of TMS Entertainment, and TMS Entertainment is a really, really big studio that they've produced quite a few big name titles um, directly. And they've also assisted in the production of a lot of titles. So some of the big ones they've worked on um, is like all of Lupin the Third. (laughs) Uh, They've also done the new Fruits Basket anime. And they also did prominently in this case, uh, the Megalobox anime, um, Mm. both seasons. And so uh, Minako Fujiyoshi is the very first female producer of this very, very large studio. And she's recently spoke earlier this month at the uh, Femme International Film Festival about her experience as a female producer and how she sees like the landscape of um, the anime industry in general and how accessible it is for female talent. And she, she opens up with at the very least, like she's been working in the business for 20 years now. And she recently became the producer um, three years ago. And she says in those 20 years, there's definitely been a considerable increase in women working in the anime industry uh, at the very least. She can say that definitively. Um, quote, it is no longer an environment where it's tough, dirty, and you, you can't go home at all, which, uh, for women that are taking care of kids, if you can't go home, that's not really like prominent, uh, Mm. not what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, not very good. It's just, for it's just not not logistically care. ideal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so um, she she notes that she is still the only female producer at TMS, and that while there are other outstanding women at the company, 
that could, if they wanted to, continue to be on the track to become a producer, more often than not, what she sees is that they'll end up transferring to another department because Mm -hmm. of things like childbirth or um, or mainly things like childbirth. Like if they they see that if they have a child, they aren't able to dedicate the same amount of time that they would otherwise to go to these higher ranking positions. Um, Minako herself comments how if she ended up getting married and having a child in her 20s and 30s, she most likely wouldn't be giving this interview as we speak as a producer. She also feels like she wouldn't have been able to continue on that track. Um, She sees that, like, of course, there are possibilities for giving uh, maternity leave, but in these high ranking positions, we can't just, they can't just like leave those empty is the thing. Like you can't, you can't create an anime without a producer. You can't create an anime without a director. Um, It's just not possible. And so those positions have to be filled in, in the interim and the awkward sort of trouble they're running into is if they do fill in that position, then how does does that transition come work out when the talent comes back? Like how, um, do we do you kick out that person? Do you hire them as a contractor? But there's mm-hmm. not you don't really hire those high level positions as a temporary position. Uh, that's not how that really works. So they're they fr- they're kind of in this weird, awkward, awkward phase where they don't know how to provide for these really truly um, talented female uh, pr- female workers. Uh, that want to both have a child and pursue their career at the same time. And I think that's really indicative of uh, a lot of the industries in Japan in general when it comes to material mm-hmm. leave. And so I uh, I wanted to stop there. That's the first half of this interview. So I want to ask mm-hmm. you, can you maybe see any sort of solutions or compromises to this this issue? I know in my industry and in, in biotech, we do prov- provide maternity leave and uh, we do hire people to take care of the work while the woman is on maternity leave. We also have paternity leave as well. But the difference is that we do have the funding to hire that person on full time. And then we expand other projects as well. But that may not necessarily be the case for all anime studios, especially um, smaller anime studios. Yeah, I mean, that's really the problem, isn't it? It's just like the funding from it. Because really the easiest way to solve this which be to have more maternity or paternity leave and be able to take that hit, um, you know, because really what leave does is just it engenders loyalty and shows that you you support your employees, so they'll want to stay with the company in turn. Uh, but that does require you know looking at it in the in the larger scope of things and being able to be like, all right, well, we're not going to be performing as well here in these areas. Uh, yeah. So it, or even it, worst it case, is just like not performing at all. Not being yeah, able to, not it, it is anime, to yeah. a certain degree an act of altruism, um, which mm-hmm. you can't exactly get in a profit driven company. I, this is the difficult thing. So there was actually a story in America um, and it was about a company. I think there was some sort of like banking company. I can't remember, but um the CEO decided he was going to pay all of his employees $70,000 a year, which is an amazing rate. And the way he afforded that is he reduced his own salary to $70,000 a year as well. Because mm-hmm. he was on like millions and millions before, mm-hmm. um, right. as is typical for CEOs. And he reduced it to the same rate as his employees. And what happens is that this fosters an amazing company dynamic where 
all of his employees were extremely loyal, extremely dedicated to the job. They could all start families and get homes. Uh, and there's even like, they've even bought him his dream car. They even saved up for, for a treat for their CEO because they knew how much he cared about them as employees, which is like, that's amazing when you think about it. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer that in any big company, the money is there, but you've got to take it out of the hands out of the greedy CEOs. That's the thing. And of course, I'm not saying I don't want CEOs to get paid. Of course I do. But let's look at like, I don't know, like Jeff Bezos, for example, to go to an extreme <laughs> example. He could pay every Amazon employee so much money and still be stinking rich himself, but he doesn't. And this is the issue. You you get people saying, I can't pay my employees properly, I don't have enough money, whilst they're driving really, really expensive cars and wearing mm -hmm. these amazing suits. And I think, you know, you do have the money, but it's because you need to cut down your pay significantly to give your employees a proper wage or to give them maternity leave. And the thing is, like, they would still be rich. They would still have a lot of money after that, but people are greedy. And this I mean, is what we yeah. really So, like, the, like that, that's a solution for larger companies, right? But it does become an issue for smaller um, mm -hmm. studios where, I guess, you're, you're kind of operating on that razor-thin budget and you know, <laughs> you're, you're and, constantly trying to balance. And the thing with anime also is that because anime is their product, if they're not making anime at all, then right. they're not making a profit at yeah. all. <laughs> and so... If if providing maternity leave means not being able to produce anime, that means the entire company is not making anime for that period of time as well. Mm -hmm. Which, again, depending on the size of the studio, could potentially be devastating. Um, so that's why I think for the anime industry in particular, it's, it's very tricky. I, I tried to think about this before presenting this topic as well. And I, I do agree with you, uh, Harry, for some of the larger, uh, larger studios, like, and we, we see this, in fact, like Kyoto Animation, just like mm -hmm. how predominantly female-dominated it is. I imagine they provide paternity leave, or not mm -hmm. paternity, maternity leave, um, to provide for that, that large female population. And they are one of those biggest studios in anime. They can afford to do that, and they do do that. But, um, and I bet, with TMS being as big as it is, I bet they could as well, and I... It, the feeling I get from this interview with uh, Minako is that they are pushing for that to try to provide for these these female talented, not not force a decision on them, not force the decision between career and family, sort of, because that's that's the that's the choice that a lot of female talents are being presented with um, in the anime industry. It seems like. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. I, I understand, like. I get it, companies want to make money and they want to be as cost-effective as possible, but then it gets into a really difficult dilemma where, you know, they could hire only men because they're statistically less likely to need to leave due to this maternity situation, but then that's completely sexist and completely unfair. Right. And it does create mm. that, that difficult dilemma, but um, I, I always just feel like there's always... This to me is the difference between left-wing thinking and right-wing thinking. I don't want to make this political, but but I think right-wing people are more likely to think this is the way it is and that's how it's always been and we can't correct that. It is what it is. Left-wing people are more likely to say, what if we try this? Have you ever thought about it like this? I think left-wing people are typically more creative and they're willing to think more creatively about solutions. So what if more companies actually had parts in the companies where, where you could bring your child and there was a childcare 
branched of a company. I, I don't know. Like, like what if uh, certain parents could bring their kids in? Let's say they couldn't get a babysitter. They could bring their kids in and there was a whole play area in the company with an on-site minder. What if... I don't, I don't know. I know it sounds a bit weird. I actually remember reading about... I, I'm pretty sure Kyo Annie has that... Um, yeah. So it, fact, it's not like it could, doesn't exist. It's just it is yeah. just a paradigm shift and mm-hmm. like we're we're still barely see it, especially for the anime industry. Um I don't know what those statistics are, but I would imagine like the video game industry, it's currently experiencing a shift out from that previous generation into yeah. the current one where we do or if not at a state of equality, moving towards it. But it's not something that's going to happen overnight. So mm. I I think it's good that issues like this are being recognized, but I don't think that we can expect an immediate change. I, I think it's good that conversations like this are happening. Yeah. Right. right. I, I think it's, it's I think, just I think always, it's good that's happening in, like, some of the biggest studios also. Yeah, I just think it's always yeah. so frustrating how slowly things feel like they change with, with all areas of... of Oh, yeah. better human rights and better animal rights. It just feels like the, the change is always just too slow for people already of the opinion that there needs to be change to see that change happen. Just feels so frustrating. I remember when I was a teenager, I always thought gay marriage was a thing. And when I finally found out, like, I don't know, when it was around 2012 or 13, but it wasn't a thing and that it was now a debate. I was like, why the fuck was it not a thing? Like, I thought that should be a thing since I was a little kid. Like, I was never of the opinion that it was a problem. And, and that's always what's strange when it feels like, why is society always playing catch-up to what you think? And I don't want to sound like an arrogant twat when I say that, but it does always feel like society's playing catch-up when it comes to human rights. And I think that's frustrating. But it, it, that's what happens when you have fucking cunts in charge running the show in a sort of old-fashioned way. They're going to be reluctant to change. So that was the first part of the interview. The second <laughs> part of the interview, uh, what they, uh, she talked about her work on the Megalobox anime. Her like that was the uh, yeah. So the Megalobox anime is the first anime that she debuted as a producer, and then she also produced the second anime as well, Megalobox Two. And I know both of you watched the original Megalobox, right? And I think we were all of the opinion on the first Megalobox. It was like, yeah, it was it was decent. It was pretty okay. It was pretty it was pretty fun. Had some issues here and there. And I'm the only one that's watched Megalobox 2, correct? I'm like yeah, halfway yeah. through it. Okay. But yeah, I, it, I've, seen a, I've seen enough of it to know like it, it's, I like it more than the first season. Yeah, it's, it's definitely way, way, way better than the first season and definitely way more engaging. And so in, in both of these, um, so when the, she was meeting for these uh, script meetings, and so normally in anime, these script meetings involve large groups of people across all the various different parts of production. So director, script writer, animator, so on and so forth. For, for Megalobox, it was kept much tighter. It's where it's just the director, the two screenwriters, and herself. And hmm. because of this small arrangement, she was able to provide a lot of input and have a lot of sway over how the story unfolded. Um, and it's also good, um, important to note that the director and the two screenwriters were also male. And so, for example... One in- instance she notes is how when they were trying deciding how to depict certain women in the story, like Shirato or uh, Mara and o- Oicho, um, the males would try to depict them as the way men see them as ideal through character lines and actions. However, uh, 
Minako herself would be like, no, I, I believe we should um, portray them this way. Um, as a woman myself, I don't like this kind of woman. And she would have different opinions in expressing that, how it came about. And so that's how she was able to shape them as it came along. Another mm-hmm. really important, uh, something she emphasized, however, was that um, the kind of female character that other women find appealing is tends to be different from the kind of characters that men um, find appealing. And she makes it clear, it's like, that doesn't mean one way is correct. One, like one, one portrayal, one portrayal over the other isn't correct. Because she also acknowledges that like the one, the woman that men see ideal, it's not like they don't exist. Um, it's like as bad as that sounds, but it's not like they don't exist. And it's not like the, and the woman, the type of woman that women see ideal, it's not like they don't exist as well. And so there's no correctness here, but it's about understanding each other's feelings and coming to a compromise in that, I think, which I thought was a really mm, interesting thing to say, yeah. um, especially coming from her. And I, I think you'll both agree with me here. One of the most irritating things with anime is that there are such repetitive character tropes at times. Um, I'm fucking sick. Like An instant turn off for me, if I, it makes me so fucking sick is when I see like a male protagonist who's like this kind of apathetic teenage boy who's really mopey and really unfeeling and everyone seems to love him and value him as this great protagonist. And it's just like, he's just emotionless and boring. And that's awful. And obviously, you know, the same kind of thing applies for, for like female characters where they're almost really ditzy and really kind of sexualized. And I, I can't help but feel like these are character tropes being pushed by men. And if there's any way for, for there to be some variety injected into that old formula... I'm down. Yeah, hire whoever you want. If it means that, like, we get more varied characters that aren't just stereotypes, then that's absolutely fine with me. I mean, it's the same thing with, like, the video game industry where it's just they're, the their formulas because they work and they sell. Like, y- you'll get a viewership if you have, like, shit like Sword Art Online. And it's, like, that's some of the most cookie-cutter character tropes um, and archetypes that you'll see out there, but it sells for a reason. Um, And generally just going off the beaten path is, it is inherently more of a risk because you don't know whether or not something's going to sell. It's, again, it's just being able to take those first few steps and realize, oh, I guess there is an audience for this. Um, Like, it's, I one of the anime I've actually been watching has been Star Wars Visions, and it's interesting to like some of the episodes are like kind of okay. Um, but I'm looking at it through the lens of like presenting this to a wider audience, right? Like people who have never watched anime before, and I think it you know, for, on Disney's part, it is a huge risk because it's like, how do they know if they're like like me? I'm used to all of this, I'm used to all of these like stories. But if you present it to an audience who has never had any experience with this, who you don't know how is going to react, you're just going off of an educated guess, it's a risk. But Star Wars Visions has, like, proven to be pretty successful. But I think, think fortunately, like, Star Wars is such a big IP that you can Mm -hmm. just, like, put the Star Wars logo on a bag of gravel and it would sell because it's just Mm -hmm. so absurdly popular. So, So, like, if they say, oh, we're doing, like, a Star Wars anime experiment... You had ninety nine percent of people with the word Star Wars. Do you know what I mean? That's fair. That's very fair. So it's like the perfect IP to experiment with because it is a much smaller risk in that sense. Mm-hmm. 
And so another part that she talked on is uh, a core plot point of Megalobox. And so Kyle, you said you're about halfway through, mm -hmm. you said. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're probably at the point where um, he sees back in the, the main city, whatever it's called. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he's, he's, re he's re not re necessarily reunited, reconnected, but he's, he's met up with his old crew at yep. this point, right? And you, you see what they think of him. Um, mm -hmm. So at this core part of the story, this um, like a core concept of Megalobox 2 is just Joe struggled to redeem himself from this like truly grave mistake he made. It's just like, how do I, how does he pick up the pieces with all of these relationships that he broke um, at the start of this story? And so the, uh, the, the other people of the production committee or the, the screen, the script, scripting, script meetings, they wanted to have the characters forgive Joe at an earlier part in the story, earlier stage in the story, mm -hmm. um, like forgive him. And then they move on together in that regard. But she was very firm in her belief that it was, much too early to forgive him. She wanted to oh, highlight yeah. that oh, yeah. Joe's desire to seek validation through fighting in Megalobox tour tournaments. Um, and she mused that maybe that the male members were swayed by a sentimental desire to have that kind of reckless urge forgiven. <laughs> uh, it's like, that's not, that's not what we want to, that's not the kind of message we want to sell here. It's like, we don't want to tell the message that like, you can go out and be reckless. And, and if you come back and be earnest, honest, like yeah. everything will be okay. Just like that hunky dory. Uh, she described herself as being quote unquote, annoyingly strict on this matter. <laughs> mm. Um, and in the end, that's what they do go with. They like Joe is never really fully forgiven in the whole show. And he never even begins to begins to be forgiven until like towards the very end. And I felt like that was definitely the right decision to go with. And mm. I feel like you'll feel that the same way. Mm -hmm. Kyle, it seems like you already kind of feel that currently. Like if you if you are at the part right now and Joe like had this kind of like oh yeah no it'd be repeat. it'd be a little uh, schmaltzy it'd be, it'd be way too cheesy like it, it it's yeah. like part of Joe's arc is just going through that struggle and like I it was the right choice mm -hmm. yeah so I it's just it's really this this whole interview was just uh, this whole second part of the interview I think was just really. Uh, informative in the way of concrete evidence, sort of like you, this is something that you can point to and be like, look, 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 point, 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 link, 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 link. Um, this is the direct impact prominent female talent had on the production of anime. And mm -hmm. it is objectively better for it. It's some, it's hard evidence that you can show to other people, as you were saying, Kyle, as you were saying, Harry, um, to demonstrate like these kinds of things can work. If you go out of your way to give it a chance, if you uh, welcome the opinions and again, going back to this, this idea of correctness that Minako spoke on is like, there's no, there's no correct way of doing this. Like everyone has their own ideas and it's still, she still values the opinions of her male coworkers. Absolutely. And she finishes by expressing that she wants to continue making anime with director Yo Moriyama, who was the director of uh, Megalobox. Um, she doesn't, invalidate their opinions of women because in the end they've been living their lives and they've been interacting with women as well. And there are male characters in the show. There's no correct way of doing this, but there is a way that we can come to a compromise and understanding yeah. that um, mm. these characters can um, express to a general audience and not just one demographic. Yeah. I think especially for the anime industry too, just because like the whole point of it is the story Right? So it's like you're trying to convey human emotion and like if you 
limit yourself, you're limiting the kind of story you can tell. If you're limiting yourself with who you hire and like who you promote. I mean. mm-hmm. Exactly. It, it more, more viewpoints and more um, experiences. Yeah. That's the thing. And it, it, it's like the conversation and like the, the shift that I've seen is like, I, I get why some people might be concerned that pushes for diversity feel like they're filling a quota um, and I think that if you look at it on the extreme end, yeah, absolutely. Like, don't just hire, like, more women or people of color just because you want to fill a number. Like, it's about the perspective and experience that they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the end of the day, you do get... I mean, that's the thing. If you're writing a story that is designed to be complex and intricate, mm-hmm. it absolutely makes sense to hire a mix of people with a mix of experiences so they can all pull together their own experiences. If you just hire a group of white men, that's fine, but you're only going to get one perspective. You're only going to get one interpretation of that story. Whereas if you hire a mix of people, then you're going to get a much more balanced, well-rounded narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, as a perk, you are having a diverse team and you're giving opportunities to different people um, rather than just prioritizing one race or one biological sex or one gender. Yeah, that's, that's why, like, one of um, the studios or examples that, like, I always keep going back to just because it's such a stark difference from how the rest of the industry works is uh, uh, Saru, Um with, like, the fact that they have... I, I think the studio lead now is a Korean woman, uh, Young Choi, and then, like, the team behind Azekin was, like, incredibly, like, internationally diverse... Um, and yeah, like it was all the better for it. Like Azekin was an incredibly creative and fun show. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hey K Monogatari this season is phenomenal. I'll talk about more of that later. But yeah, I more 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 diversity, please. Hell yeah! yeah. Just, just, just I, I've always I've always said I I just really want this to be reflected in more anime series as well. Um, it, it's so it's it's just nearly impossible to find an anime series with like an outright gay character that's presented positively. I mean, I know there are some, but they're very, very rare. The most it will go to is queer baiting. Like, and I think that's so frustrating. Um, I don't think there's any anime series with trans characters, really. Um, but there's little bits and bobs, but again, to find one that portrays trans people positively is very tricky. Um, characters of colour are super rare in anime. Um, I, I've always said it, I would love to see a popular shonen title like a sort of a sort of black clover, i.e., very popular, very shonen-y, and with a huge demographic, um, but with a protagonist who isn't in that kind of like heteronormative white kind of uh, male bland aesthetic, something a bit different. I don't, I don't know. I'd love to see some some changes over time. You know, you know what else is diverse? Well, oh, oh, what? VTubers. Oh. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, they're diverse. <laughs> Fucking love how much like representation goes happens through the VTuber community. Uh, okay, yeah. Lads, so. I'm gonna tune out for a little bit. Give oh me a shout when, when you're done. <laughs> this is this is this is a short one. That, that, That's fine. That, yeah, so the, the, the interview was the one big piece we had. So yeah, okay. really quickly, we got we got some data from the from the firm user local, um, which uh, is a YouTube tracker service, and they have logged over, you want to guess how many VTubers are on YouTube alone? Oh, uh, at least a thousand. You're correct about that. 
but it's much higher. Oh, man. Uh, so is, it, is it 4,763? Keep going up. 4,764. Keep, keep going up. Uh, okay. 9, multiply 000, that number a bit. 9, oh, 000, multiply. Oh, Jesus. Uh, uh, 15, 20K. Okay, that you were close to 15. So there are 16,000 VTubers <sighs> on YouTube alone. Mm. On YouTube alone. That's not counting Twitch yeah. or other smaller streaming platforms. YouTube alone, there are currently over 16,000 YouTubers. That first number you threw out, Kyle, that 1,000, that was back in March of 2018. There were about 1,000 VTubers. Oh, He's a VTuber um, boomer. That's what he is. Yeah, so in... Three years, we've gone from 1,000 VTubers to 16,000 on the YouTube platform, oh, which is pretty, pretty nuts. And so then they mark like the most popular ones, as we know, is Galgura with 3.49 million subscribers, followed by, followed by Kizuna Ai, about 3 million, and then a whole bunch of other Hololive people um, trailing the end there. So yeah, v VTubing is big. Uh, the, the one question I want to ask before we move on from this is, Kyle, do you see this number uh, and do you get the sense is like, oh no, it's so big, like the bubble is bursting, or what? What kind of what do you feel when you hear that it, number? It's literally just the next step in streaming. I I, I don't think there's any. I, I think maybe it won't like grow as rapidly. I think there's going to reach a saturation point, but I don't think it's ever going to die out. I don't think it's just a trend. It, it it's literally just another medium. Um, yeah, for people to. Be creative. And that, that's why I think it'll stick around. It's like it offers so many different opportunities for people to express themselves through streaming. And like it gives a lot of opportunity for people who might not want to like show their faces or you know do stuff that limits them to just having, you know, a body on screen. Like there have been so many, like, especially with, with how accessible live 2D is and just the creativity and art that can go into like having a model. Yeah, no, it's going to stick around. Yeah. I totally I, believe I in YouTubers. Yeah. I, I definitely seen a sentiment. It was like, Oh, that's so big. Like, and so many of them are obscure. That means the bubble is going to pop. No, like, no, 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 no. It's like, it's just, I mean, there are so many people, normal streamers that are obscure. All exactly. Yeah. People the will find time. their niche and people will find their audiences. I, I will say the one difference though, is that like the barrier to entry to VTubing is way way higher than normal cam streaming. Like oh oh yeah, for sure. Your for own, sure. Yeah, creating yeah, your own yeah. avatar or commissioning it. It's either a time sink or a money sink, and it for it not to work out, it, it must it must sting a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Cowboy Bebop uh, live action oh, is right Lord. around the corner. Yeah, I saw yeah. that trailer. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the trailer a little bit, but I've, first a uh, little. I was, gonna, I was gonna say in terms of what if I know forget I'll, I'll save it for later. Yeah, what were you gonna say? Okay. Uh, so a quick little, at least like fun nod is in the Japanese dub of the live action, which that's always funny to say the Japanese dub. Um, they are reprising all of the original yeah. voice actors for oh. the anime, which mm -hmm. I think is a nice little nod. Like that's obviously you can't really do that for their original English yeah. production. That would be a little odd, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, it is neat that um, they're, they're doing that for the Japanese side and I, I've never watched the Japanese version of Cowboy Bebop because the dub of that show is one of the best dubs of all time. Oh, yeah. But I, I feel like uh, the Japanese audience that are interested in this will definitely appreciate mm -hmm. that, even if uh, just live-action dubs are really, really awkward to begin mm -hmm. with. But it's it's something to look forward to for them, I guess. But yes, the trailer. The trailer, the trailer, the trailer, trailer. So we got the first 
trailer of the official Cowboy Bebop live action Netflix series. Not just the opening, mm-hmm. not just a not just a poster. We got actual frames. Is that how is that, is actual that the word? Yeah, frames? Yeah. No. Yeah. So Kyle, you've seen this trailer. Harry, have you seen this trailer? Yeah, I have. I, what I was going to say before is from what I've read of the comments, people seem to be fairly positive about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are people are mildly positive, I think is the, <laughs> right, the mildly positive. It. Yeah. Cautious, yeah. Cautiously they're, they're optimistic. Not, yeah. Okay, Kyle, you obviously have things you want to say about it. So I mean, I don't know if I like have things I want to say about it. it it's <laughs> like, I I would like to reserve judgment until the whole thing is out. I don't think I'm the target audience. <laughs> I think I think that's fair, yeah. Um, who, who do you think is the target audience? That is a good fucking question. <laughs> I have been wondering that since I saw the posters, and especially now with the... With the trailer coming, or the like, the more footage from the actual show. I think it's for people who aren't snobs. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll admit, I'm a little bit of a like. I I have high standards. Um, not I have personal <laughs> I, standards. I have established every night. I have personal standards <laughs> I've established for myself, and I don't think this Cowboy Bebop cuts it. For me, and I think if I were to give, God, like, it, it's hard to say who the target demographic is without sounding like I'm bashing them, and I'm not trying <laughs> to, but I, I think it's for people who can separate the anime from an adaptation and enjoy the adaptation in its own right. I right. think I cannot see the adaptation without thinking, wow. This is how they would have done it in the cur- in the anime, or oh, this is how it was done in the anime. Right? So it, it's I, I guess for people who can separate the two, is, I, think, is, I think that's a, a good answer. It's a bit of an odd one for me. So I've only seen a few episodes of Cowboy Bebop. I really need to watch all of it. It's absolutely on my watch list, but I've just never gotten around to it. Um, I've only seen a few episodes. Um, I wouldn't watch this live action without watching the anime first. I, I would definitely watch the anime first <laughs> to make sure I've experienced the quote-unquote proper version of the story so then I can watch the live action and kind of compare the two. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's weird because from what I can gather, they've kept it quite true to the original. I mean, they've got the original opening music. They, they seem to have, unlike the Death Note adaptation Netflix did, they seem to be trying to really keep this to the original's blueprint, which on the one hand is, is obviously great, but at the same time, it's like, well, well, what are you what are you doing that's better? What are you saying? Yeah. So that, that's actually it's, 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 it's difficult because then if they changed it and if they were like, this is the new Cowboy Bebop and it's totally different to the original, you would be complaining about that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it but, seems but like, like that, you can't like, win, yeah. Like what I've seen, and the, an interesting comment that I saw was that it feels like the Netflix series is basing itself off the anime, right? Um, And it's, particularly with the opening, it's missing a lot of what the anime itself was drawing from, right? So the original anime... Uh, was very heavily influenced by mid-20th century jazz and, the, like, the whole 
like Western, um, like noir scene that came around from music and cinema at that time. But the Netflix adaptation, it seems to really only be basing itself off of the anime. The anime. So it's missing that link to what the anime itself was drawing from. Mm. Right. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's interesting what I was thinking about who, who this adaptation is for. Mm-hmm. And at first I was thinking, and first of all, I, my quick opinions on this is that the trailer, it wasn't disappointing to me. It didn't necessarily excite me, yeah. but it, yeah. like, it didn't look bad. Yeah, oh yeah, bad, oh, yeah. Least, which, that, that's where I'd like Unlike it. the Death Note live action was like, that looks like hot garbage <laughs> right away. Damn. At the very least, they've improved from that part. But when I was really starting to think about, okay, who, who, is, who is this targeted for? And so at first I thought, I was like, okay, as we mentioned in previous episodes, like the amount, the popularity of anime on the Netflix platform has skyrocketed in recent years. Like it's over, it's up 200% in viewership. Most of the most watched shows in the top 10 are, are anime. And mm-hmm. so Netflix is trying to capitalize on it. And so I thought it's like, okay, um, maybe Netflix is thinking, okay, we've, we've gotten in this, this new, we brought in this new audience of anime watchers, like people that are just now starting to watch anime for the first time. And now let's try to pair that with a medium they're more familiar with. However, and, and then that's who they're targeting. So those people are just getting into anime and now like to try to sink them further in by like providing this bridge sort of. But then I was trying to think of during the, the promotional cycle, the, the general promotional cycle for this um, series, and I haven't been following it that much, but have you guys seen them tout like how it's based off in an anime, how, how it's linked to an anime, how it's... Um, Coming off of this truly true classic. I don't think I followed it closely enough to really know. Um, Have have they done? Have they been really saying based on the anime? Right, because like in Mm. this trailer alone, it it doesn't say that at the very least. Mm. Um, I feel like in Twitter posts here and there, like and of course they've recently released the original Cowboy Bebop on Netflix, so there's that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think they from. And this is the kind of person that would be watching this, I think, because the kind of person that would watch this isn't following the promotional cycle super closely. As some, as someone like that, I don't, I haven't seen them really make that link much. In my head, I've, it's been linked the whole time, of course, because we all know what Cowboy Bebop is. It's the anime. It's mm. one of the, what's, it's one of the greats. But as a general populace, I feel like they haven't really been pushing that angle much. I feel like the general promotional cycle for this series has been like this is. Um, it's sort of own thing that might be anime inspired, but mm, I, do I don't you, think they've really been I've, pushing that's, that link too that's much. Poss- I think that's probably because if you if you're an anime fan, you already know it's based on the anime, and if you don't follow anime, then you're just going to see it and think, oh, a cool new live action series from Netflix. Um, so they, they almost don't need to say it's based on an anime because all that's going to potentially do is deter people who don't like anime. Mm-hmm. And it's because it, it's, it's going to inform nothing for the people who like anime because they already know that. Um, right. My I guess what was the last anime thing that they tried to push? Um, they've not. They've not actually done much like live, live action, action anime adaptations. I think it's only Death Note. Um, yeah, Death Note is the first, the first and only one I'm, so far. As as always, I'm I'm just terrified of the One Piece live action. Uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> so yeah, keep keep in mind also that. This this same team is going to be the ones producing the One Piece live action. Right. So this is I, this I, is a little litmus test. Can I just say I know we're hanging up the podcast, but when the One Piece live action adaptation comes out, we <laughs> oh might have to do a one off special oh episode, <laughs> just a one off return bonus episode because we might really need to talk about it for better I'm or okay for worse. That. Yeah. 
Let's, that's not a promise to listeners, but just in case, if it's particularly <laughs> terrible or particularly amazing, we might need to do a, a brief half an hour episode to discuss it. Um, mm-hmm. No, I, I just feel like um, adaptations can fuck off. I, I really do think, because it's, it's all part of this view of like, oh, this is a popular IP, so let's adapt it. If Squid Games are shown as anything, it's that you don't need to do that. You don't need to adapt pre-existing IPs to have a big hit. You can just fund a particular show, promote it, and it might be a hit. I don't think Cowboy Bebop live action is any more likely than any other kind of South Korean drama to be a okay. hit. Okay, okay. So let, let's like let's look at this outside of the creative lens, right? Because I think we're we're approaching this from the 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 view of creative storytelling, right? And if you look at it from that perspective, yeah, Cowboy Bebop is just, it's an, it is literally an adaptation of an existing story, of an existing property. But from a financial standpoint, does this make sense? Like, is there a large enough audience and do you think that there is a large enough, I guess, appeal or need for it that this will raise viewership? Right. Completely that's, independent that's, of the quality. Yeah, because that's the question is like how... What what defines a financial success for a Netflix series? Because I, I'm not sure, like, because Netflix is subscription-based, I'm not sure how, yeah. like, like, watching Netflix a specific show. funds yeah. so much garbage, but they've yeah. still been growing. Right. So that's, that's what, because I, at the very least, you're going to get similar to, like, Star Wars and that, like, Harry, your, your analogy of, like, you put Star Wars on a bag of, travel and sell i think it's not not necessarily the same scale but like there is a large 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 population of people that are just downright curious about this Mm -hmm. and the first step to grabbing that audience is this trailer not looking terrible like this trailer not looking terrible it has me like i'm like okay i'm going to at least check this out now if it it looked terrible right at the bat i'm like no way like death no i wasn't even gonna and these are people like yeah like so so for me too right like i love the original I'll probably watch a few episodes of this just because, yeah, like you said, Matt, it's not terrible. And like, I'm already on the fence. So I, you're never going to convince people who didn't want to be convinced. Right. Yes, exactly. I think that's a good, good point to raise for sure. And so in, in that regard, from a financial success, I think, I think they set the expectations for the show and the show is easily going to meet those expectations, if not exceed them, um, whatever those expectations are. I don't, I don't think the show is going mm-hmm. to fall below whatever the expectations are they have set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be optimistic here. I think it will be no less than a six out of ten. I, I, I genuinely, <laughs> I think that's, fair. I think that's I fair. genuinely it think it looks that, like a six out of ten. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't think it's going to be awful. Yeah, admittedly, I've not seen the original, so so like I, I I've only seen a few episodes, so I can't fully comment here. But from what I can gather from the live action trailer, it does have good production value, and they do seem to care about the source material. Yeah, that and is at the, the very least like for, for uh, those two reasons yeah. alone. I think it will be fine. Mm-hmm. Whether it's great, I I don't know. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I just feel as a consumer. It just feels like they're wasting our time. I, I just feel like create something original, do something interesting. Just, just uh, I, I don't know. It, it just feels bizarre. Harry, I'm I can just, come at this from the video game perspective. I can tell you that a lot of people just like seeing more of the same stuff. <laughs> and, and I don't like that. 
I, I, not that we're a minority, but that there is a large demographic of people who will buy this, who will consume this, who do pay, like, for the latest Call of Duty or the latest open world RPG game. Mm. Um, you know, it's just, it, from a strictly financial business point, it makes sense. And it is a smart move. Mm. Yeah. So Cowboy Bebop was... The original, the original show was 23 years ago, Woo. 1998. Woo. But we're not talking about 23 years ago. We're about to talk about 2019. Mm, we're about to talk two ago. years ago. Oh, that was a good segue. segue. It was. <laughs> it's not a good segue if you point out it's a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Uh, anyways, yeah. So we are continuing our trip down memory lane. We're, we're finishing our trip down memory lane. Damn it. <laughs> we're going to finish road. it before we finish the podcast. Yeah, and the, the the lights at the end of the tunnel at this point. We we got 2019 and then 2020, and that's that's a wrap at that oh. point. But yeah, 20, 2019 was also a year that all three of us were were still pretty active in the anime scene. It was our we've we've had a year of the podcast under our belt at that point. We were like full steam ahead, it's like yeah, let's go. And things things were kicking. And 2019, and this this show is very appropriate for today as well. What, what was the big show of 2019? The one that the only show of this whole list that I could pick out that all three of us watched and were like, yes. Oh, God. Uh, what was 2019 in anime? <laughs> what did we all watch? It's been a while since we've like all synced up on a show. 2019 was a, a very difficult year for me. So I can't fully remember. This was the year I actually stepped down from the anime section and handed it over to you, Matt. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. exciting times. But uh, I'm trying to think what anime it would have been, but we all watched together. Well, well, I know you, you're saying I'll kick myself. I know that like I'll kick mm -hmm. myself when you reveal it. Yeah. Give, okay, give us a clue. Give us some clues. <laughs> um, it is a series that has started up again this season. Started up again? Yes. Uh, Demon Slayer. Yeah, there yeah. you go. There oh, you go. Okay. Harry got it. Uh -huh. Demon Slayer, spring of 2019. Oh. That, that. Good for Demon Slayer. Yeah, that, that hit like... Uh, a ton of bricks that show did. That was UFO Table's first manga adaptation of a, of a show, followed by Jujutsu Kaisen in 2020, which I'm sure we'll talk about next episode. Was that 2020 or was that 2021? Anyways, uh, for, <laughs> Demon Slayer was the first manga adaptation from UFO, UFO Table because up until that point, they've been doing um, either light novel adaptations or video game adaptations. Like they did Fate Zero. Mm -hmm. um, they did the Tales of the Stereo anime, which is way, way better I, than the game. I also, I thought, um, wait, sorry to interrupt. I thought Jujutsu Kaisen was Mappa. Oh, you're right, you're right. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got yeah, a correct there. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And I'm, I'm pretty I, sure I, it started in 2020 and went into 2021. That makes sense. I think, yeah. I think, yeah. I'll, I'll be checking that for the next episode. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That, that is definitely Mappa. So to this day, yes, Demon Slayer is still the only uh, manga adaptation anime that UFO Table has done. And boy, did they sure pull out all the stops on this. To, to me, UFO Table is still the only anime studio that, has, that can marry 3D CG and traditional 2D animation in an effective way. Yeah. Um, it's still the only studio that I've seen that do it well, where they use... 3D CG for its strengths rather than just a shortcut to animation. And I think the scene that really encapsulated that is the, the, the twisty turny house 
that fight mm. when Tanjiro is fighting against mm. the demon with the drums on it and the, the the room is twisting and turning as they fight. And so the room is rendered in 3D CG. However, Tanjiro himself and the demon are still in 2D. And so they're they're rotating this room so they don't have to create these, like keep redrawing the, yeah. the background, yeah. which makes sense. But then they draw Tanjiro and the demon to where it's synced up with that room. And that was just such a beautiful well done set dressing um to a beautiful fight sequence and so well i i think uh something i want to ask and i forget kyle was this also a, a series where you just read the manga or did you also no I, ha I had read the manga before watching okay but you did watch the end i did watch yes. yes okay yeah yeah so it wasn't like my hero where you were like just a manga reader after a point um so yeah for so demon slayer i think um this was the last big shonen slash i guess this is more I, I would say demon slayer is like borderline seinen as well um that all three of us really big on because me and harry also started to like edge away not edge but like wean away from shonen after a point um we were pretty okay on jujitsu but like demon slayer we were still really really into so oh, i, I, I want to I, lo I love jujitsu kaisen right i know like you, you're the one you, that was still, like really into it, it but like, i loved it yeah 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 so I, I want to ask Kyle in that regard. So what, what, what was, what was it about Demon Slayer? Oh, it's hundred percent like, the setting. I fucking love the setting. Yeah. Early twentieth century Japan is my jam. Yeah, yeah, just like that. That the cusp of like the industrial revolution. Yeah, yeah, like height of the Japanese Empire. Um, like rapid Western, uh, rapid industrialization. Uh, and like that, that first time that like Tanjiro enters the city, that's so cool. Just seeing all of like the lights mm -hmm. and telephone poles and trains and like just the, oh, I love it. I love it. I, I, that, that scene too, when he enters the city for the first time is, it's just really, it's really neat to get that, that contrast in mm -hmm. the, the show we've been treated to up to that point like kind of isolated from society or just like living a simple life really up in the mountains, mm -hmm. like not wanting, and then just like going into the absolute stimulation overload um, that is the city and just like seeing that reflected in his eyes and just the way that UFO table pro um, projected that. Mm -hmm. it, it really drove home just how, how rapidly this, this, the setting is evolving alongside with mm -hmm. the plot as well. Yeah. The other thing that I, oh, this is also more of like a personal, I, I guess, cheap, uh, cheap reason I like it, but I just like swords, man. Like, swords <laughs> are just fucking cool. Like, it's the reason I read Bleach instead of Naruto. Yeah. I just like swords. Yeah, I don't know. They're fun. Yeah. Because that, because all of the, all of the Demon Slayer core fighting is, is sword-based. Yeah. From what I know at the very least. Yep. Yeah. I have, we haven't seen all of the, what, what are the, the pillars? What are the pillars? No. Okay. Yeah. The pillars. And also what, what, what's the name? The Hakuro? Oh, uh, Hashiro. The, the Hashiro. Yeah. So I, we haven't seen all the Hashiro fight, but it at the very least, like all the characters we've seen so far have been sword-based, which I feel like it's, it's similar to another show on this list, which we won't talk about too much, but Fire Force was interesting in that like all the powers in that show were fire-based. And mm -hmm. I feel like when you're limiting yourself to a specific type of power, so whether it's like everything has to be related to fire or everything is sword-based now, that's when you're forced to be really creative with the powers and fighting styles. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, things are going to get old. Mm -hmm. And to your point in Naruto, it's like, okay, like the sky's the limit. Like there are no rules in Naruto whatsoever. You can make out whatever the fuck you want. But when you are living yourself to a specific type of fighting, so sword-based, then there's 
a set of rules mm -hmm. that every fighter has to adhere to. And being yeah, able I mean, to like, get creative with those rules going, going, makes for interesting fighting. Going back a bit, like that's why Megalobox is fun. It's all just boxing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then just like the type of gears involved with the Megalobox too and how they play around with that mm -hmm. too. Yeah, it, it's that's that, that's always the more one step. And that's why a lot of isekai nowadays are just so boring to watch because they, there's no rules. It's just like the, the main character comes in and just breaks all the rules whatsoever. It's just like, okay, then there's no stakes and there's no reason for me to watch. Uh, I, um, I think that, yeah, creating like a consistent and entertaining power system that, that actually feels mm -hmm. like it levels up gradually through the show or it makes sense in the, in the context of the show. Yeah, it's like really difficult, but when, when something gets it right, it's great. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, to use like a really popular example, I, th I think one of the reasons Dragon Ball is so popular is because clearly Akira Toriyama really thought about the whole power system in that and he had so much fun with it and it's iconic as a result. Um, the whole like Super Saiyan thing. And right. I don't know, I, I, think, I think getting that kind of a great power system in a show is difficult, but when it happens, it's great. I think something that Dragon Ball does really well with the power system is... Knowing when to uh, limit break the power yeah. system because, mm. of course, like Dragon Ball, like goes into different tiers of powers as it goes on. But like, whenever like a new Saiyan form is unlocked or something like that, is a big moment that was like yeah. earned and worked towards. And like that, like you can break the rules of a power system, but you have to establish why you break it. You can't just be like. I fucking hate slimes recent season. It's just like, oh, this this teleportation magic hasn't existed in, in, ever. And the slime's just like, I'm gonna make it now. Uh, uh -huh, I made it. It breaks the whole world now. Um I mean, like that, it, it, it can be fun to do that. Like, look at one punch man. It's literally like they make yeah. the rules and then break them in the same fucking minute. Right. And that that's that's one punch man shtick, yeah. But and something like slime when like it's Part of its claim to fame is its world building. I guess, yeah, if it's trying to, like, even, there, even, yeah. It, yeah. even in One Punch Man, you say it breaks the rules, but, like, actually, there's nothing that occurs in One Punch Man that feels out of place with the world and the rules it's created from the get-go. Mm. Like, Saitama's really overpowered. Yeah, we know. That's, that's the whole point established early on, and it hasn't deviated from that or broken that rule. He has continued to be unbeatably powerful. If suddenly one episode, like, this random character is beating the shit out of him, or if one episode, Genos was as strong as Saitama, then you'd be like, what's yeah. going on? Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's totally fair. broken the rules, mm -hmm. but that's never happened. Um, uh, yeah, same with Dragon Ball. If you're watching and all of a sudden, yeah. um, Goten was as strong as Goku all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it would just be like, well, how has that happened? Uh, I guess, like, rules in terms of power scaling is still, like, something that yeah, stays you, consistent. You, you yeah, that's it, you know, like, like if, if this character is going to get their ass kicked, it needs to make sense as to why that's happening. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you need to be watching it and thinking, oh, yeah, realistically, I don't see how that character could beat that character. Um, and I really hate when, like, it's like, oh, that character wins because they're the protagonist, even though they're objectively not as strong as the opponent they're facing. But, like, yeah, I, th I think Demon Slayer doesn't do that. Uh, and then the other shows you mentioned didn't do that. So, yay. Right. And something else that we've talked about Demon Slayer before, when we were talking about, like, best, like great antagonists in anime, we, we talked about, blanking on his name. What's Muzin? Michael Jackson's name? Muzin, yes. Um, and why, why Muzin is such a captivating antagonist also, how you actually feel danger from him. So that same scene 
where Tanjiro enters the city for the first time is also the first time yeah. we encounter yeah. Muzen and just like how actually cold-blooded he is and how um terrifying he truly is because in a lot of in a lot of uh shonen anime in particular i feel like antagonists they tend to go with these uh charismatic sometimes flamboyant but like when it gets down to brass tacks like they get down like down to serious business they're doing really bad things like jujutsu kaisen is guilty of that also like with the antagonist there they're doing really horrible things but they're like oh loosey-goosey have fun like aren't we super eccentric whereas muzen is just like I will rip your eyeballs out, eat them, and spit them out on your toes. <laughs> um, like, sort of deal. And, like, that's the very first impression you get, and that's the kind of impression you get in all of his actions from then on, then on. And I feel like mm-hmm. that sort of sense of dread that this is the man that is the cause of everything and who we're ultimately going to have to face is a very potent driving force for the story. Um, my, my question is, is the fact that he is Michael Jackson, did, has that, did that ever once detract from what you felt was like the threat factor of him? Because I've gotten that sentiment from my friends. Like, I can't take him seriously because he's Michael Jackson, where I, I never really felt like that. I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've, but... I've never even <laughs> viewed him as Michael Jackson. What the fuck are you talking about? Is this, well, is this because he wears like a similar outfit? Yeah, the yeah. hair. And he has a similar hairstyle. It never, it, it never once crossed my <laughs> mind. Like genuinely, it never once crossed my mind because like, I, I don't know. I, I guess I just don't think that much about Michael Jackson, I guess. Like, like I, I just saw him and just thought, oh, he's in a suit. And I think it depends on how much into the fandom you are, because if you're super into the fandom, it was very prominent as, like, a joke. So it might have gotten, like, uh, saturated with whoever, like is in there and watching and reading along with I, I like kind I, of yeah. hover tangentially around the Demon Slayer fandom. So I, I generally, I generally ignore all fandoms for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I just don't give a shit about community when it comes to this. I, I just think like, I just want to enjoy the music and the entertainment that I like. And, and I don't care about sharing that with, with random strangers on the internet. Um, but that's just me. You know, I don't sit on Reddit going through forums with fans. I just enjoy stuff. So, so yeah, I, I've never seen the Michael Jackson comparison. I just, even though you've pointed it out, like, I'm not, I'm just going to see him and just think, well, that's, that's Muzan and that's his outfit. <laughs> I'm not going to see it and think like, oh, it's Michael Jackson because Michael Jackson's dead and he's not animated. So, yeah. Like, if he was fucking moonwalking up to Can... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that would be a little different. I'd, I'd I'd under- I'd understand that. Clearly, that'd be different. But, but like, just wearing similar clothes, like, no. That, it takes more than that, I think, for yeah. me personally. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a shame when my friend said that. I'm like, he's one of the better antagonists I've seen in a long time. And it's a shame that you can't take him seriously because of his clothes. And mm. he looks cool to me, in mm. my opinion. But different strokes for different folks. Um... So also this year was the Promised Neverland, oh. the first season of Promised Neverland, when it yeah. was still good. Oh man! <laughs> so yeah, yeah winter twenty nineteen. So we were talking about we opened the podcast up about like horror and thriller and anime. I think like the first season of Promised Neverland definitely sort of satisfies that that thriller quota. It's just like we are trapped in this small enclosed space. The entire anime takes place in this house to the point where like we as a viewer. By the end of that that season, like, knew the layout of the entire house in our head as well, just, like, the various ways we saw it. Mm. Um, and the fact that this constant game of cat and mouse of Emma and her friends trying to outwit um, 
what's a caretaker's name? Uh, That's a good question. Is she just called Mother or something? Ma- she was just called Mother, but she also yeah, she's a, she has a name. Moment. Yeah, Julia maybe. But anyways, yeah, trying to outwit Julia and just like the sheer moments of of dread when the mother was like onto them and just like all the strings she was pulling. Yeah. Um, it was just a very, very, and I, I believe Promise Neverland got like third in our best anime of the decade list when that my, we made back when. My favorite article I've ever written is, is still the article I wrote about Promise Neverland. Um, mm-hmm. Exploring the vegan themes in it. And uh, w- one of the things I love is, is still that so many people hated the article. <laughs> and, and I love that. <laughs> I love that so many people got angry and commented saying like, you fucking hippie snowflake, there are no vegan themes in this. Because I just thought, you're a fucking idiot. And I hope... But when climate change swallows the world, I hope you're the first to fucking drown. Um, I didn't comment that back, obviously. I kept professional, but that is what I was thinking. Um, but no, like, I've, I've been promised Neverland is like definitely one of the best explorations of um, species exploitation without being directly, explicitly um, about species exploitation. I mean, it is, but it's like a subtext. It's a theme mm. rather than like the major point. But to me, if you can't, if you can't spot that that theme, then your mind is very closed off to it because it is all about the relationship between different species, namely humans and demons. And to me, that's so blatantly obvious how we can con- contrast that to humans and animals or, or non-human animals rather. Um, so yeah, I, I've been promised Neverland season one is really good. I have to yep, sp- specify, se- specify season see, one. <laughs> we don't we don't speak of season two, and we, we've already really talked at length about like why, I, I, why I haven't we watched thought it. season two was the way it was. I but, um, it just yeah, I, I, I won't waffle on about this, but um, yeah. I've only seen like uh, about four episodes of season two. It just pains me that there's so many great parts of the manga from what I can gather. There's a whole part about factory farming. Again, fucking supporting my vegan themes here. A whole arc about factory farming and about children existing in the factory farming system. Then there's like a, a part about hunting and children on a hunting reserve. Like this to me is so blatantly um, referencing real life human animal uh, relations. But all of that was cut just to fit in this kind of shitty narrative just so they could wrap it up. And, and to me, that, that's such an injustice to have this great content that could explore such interesting themes and just to cut that down for budgetary reasons. I think that's such a shame. Right, it's 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 odd. It's definitely mm. something we haven't really seen to that extent in an anime in a long, long time, especially for something what at relatively high profile is Promised Neverland. Yeah. Um, but the first season, first season of Promised Neverland, great, great, <laughs> yeah. great stuff. <laughs> Kyle, tell me about Omaids and Your Savage Youth. Oh man, that was a show. God, I forgot about that. Yeah, because I, I still need to, it's not on any of the, it's not on Crunchyroll or Funimation. It's on the stupid high dives I haven't yeah, watched yeah, yeah. yet. Uh, I, I mean, going back I, to I our earlier conversation um, about, uh, God, I, I already fucking forgot. Who the fuck was it? A uh, woman producer. Oh, Mar- Mar- Mario Kata. Oh, right. Yeah, oh, for, for Fuji- the yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the film. Oh, but for the TMS one is uh, Minako Fujiyoshi. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just going back to that conversation earlier, like, Oh, Maidens and New Savage Youth was, like, a really, really interesting take on, like, pubescence from the female perspective in ways that it felt like it was a story being told by women who had gone through this. Um, so yeah, it was really nice. Uh, very intense, very, 
I, I hesitate to say melodramatic uh, because I feel like that implies some kind of campiness, but it is very high emotions. Uh, it's quite literally about puberty, um, but it's not even like metaphorical or anything. It's like you, know, you go through having crushes, getting your period and like yeah, your first time. And it's all very like not taboo stuff, but stuff that feels taboo when you're a teenager. And that's like the entire vibe throughout the show of like, should we be talking about this? But as you go through the story, all of the girls figure out, no, it's okay to feel like this. And it's a really, really, really nice and refreshing perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from, from what I hear about the show, show, it's just, it tackles a very, what necessarily, necessarily shouldn't be a sensitive subject, but is a sensitive subject. Yeah, exactly, subject. exactly. And in a way that is respectful mm -hmm. and portrays it, makes you question is like, why do we yeah, tiptoe around yeah. this so much? Yeah, yeah. very good show. Yeah. God, I forgot about yeah, that. I, yeah, I, I really want to watch it if it wasn't just on high. Maybe it's moved on to another streaming service at this point. Well, you could be, uh, not that I'm advocating anything illegal, <laughs> but, you know. There are the oceans. There are the I'm, oceans. A big, I'm a big believer if you're not given an accessible and affordable <laughs> way to stream something, fucking illegally stream it. Because I will pay for shit. I will happily pay for streaming stuff. But I've got a Netflix subscription and a Crunchyroll subscription. If you want me to pay for any more, you can fuck off. That's my view. The, <laughs> like the thing for me also though is like at this point legally streaming is way more convenient for me than to go like yeah. actually go seek out a download and get it yeah, that way yeah. and then only watch it on my computer. Like I watch all of my anime streaming through my my consoles onto my TV nowadays. Mm. And for me to like sit my ass down on my computer chair, ew. Yeah, yeah it, I, it's I it's, it. sometimes it's difficult. But it's, it's it's like the same when like they release DVDs, but they're just so expensive. And it's like, well, I just can't afford that. You, you've you've put like 10 episodes mm. on a 30 pound dvd like like that is just not worth it um so yeah no no completely i think like if something's inaffordable or like inaccessible illegally stream it because, because like you're not being given a fair way of doing that by the uh, the content creator or the publisher i have to talk about fruits basket no, of course. I have to talk about Fruits Basket. So the Fruits Basket remake started in spring of 2019, and I still to this day feel like it's one of the most important anime to come into existence that just teaches you how to how to be a good human being to other fellow human beings. And just it, its core principle is just being able to believe in others, being a person that is capable of having faith in others. How it really emphasizes that being um being not nerfed, uh, cautious or being um, distrustful of others, like that's more—that's almost always the easy, easier way to do things. Um, but just having someone that believes in you wholeheartedly, with all their faith, just the positive effect that can have on you as a human being, no matter what you're going through, is truly incredible. And whenever you are supporting your friends, your family, like really stop and think about like. Am I full? Am I really fully invested in believing in them? Do I actually believe in them one hundred percent? How can I believe them in one hundred percent? And just how the positive effects that can have on them, and just the sheer amount of experiences. Again, going back to experiences mm -hmm. um, in anime, just the amount of experiences that Fruits Basket touches on. Yeah, the main story is there's a but. This is a dysfunctional family. Actually, okay, before I get to the dysfunctional, this is a weird family where if you're hugged by the opposite sex, you turn into an animal. <laughs> but in the end, they are still a very dysfunctional family that all have their various um, trauma and backstories to them. And it's one of those shows where there's going to be at least one character in that entire show that you're going to directly sympathize with. It's like, 
I totally know on a personal level exactly what you're going through. And to see them go through that and overcome that is retroactively therapeutic to yourself to watch as well. Mm -hmm. Or even not even retroactively, if you are going through those same emotions and feelings in this very moment. Um, so yeah, it, it's one of the most important anime out there to watch. It's very, very good. Dub is very incredible as well. Laura Bailey just smashes Toru out of the park. Um, so yeah, I, I have to, have to, have to, have to touch on that for sure. Yeah, there's just there's a bunch of other anime on this list. Incredibly, there, there's just something incredibly valuable about like yeah, we can talk about like all the fantastical stuff and you know stuff like shonen or it's like power. It's just it, it, fantasies really, and like you can still make them relatable and all that. But there is something incredibly valuable about having grounded experiences that are being shared like that. Um, it's very cathartic. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing is like all experiences in the end even though it's this kind of fantastical story of the Zodiac members, like it's still grounded in real life experiences, things that real people go through. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely powerful. And also speaking of antagonists as well, just like one of the most diabolical manipulating antagonists you you can see in a non-shonen battle spectacle sort of anime, just like Akito is the kind of, and I've said this in previous episodes too, Akito is the kind of antagonist that you can, see existing in real life, see causing real harm to real people, but the way that um, they pull the strings on just gaslighting their family members and their friends into doing what they want them to do. So yeah, it's truly hits all ranges of the spectrum in terms of emotions. We're going to go through the rest of this list, um, touching on these next ones a few a little bit more lightly. Okay. Uh, so Dororo and the Winter... 2019. I'm not sure if any of you watched that. I think Kyle. Uh, I read a bit of the manga. Uh, it's it's one of those series that I know I'll really enjoy. It's just I need to sit down and get through it. But I, I know enough about it. Yeah. So that was that was a fun map map of one. Just uh, mm-hmm. watching that relationship between Dororo and uh, Hachi. Forgetting his name. Um, but yeah, just get get this tale of vengeance, getting his body back, and just. Uh, a lot of raw emotions going into it. It's one of those stories where no one ultimately wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle's favorite, the quintessential quintuplets. Oh, <laughs> what a, oh, they was my favorite at one point. <laughs> uh, did was the, did the manga end well no. for you? No. Okay, that's all I needed to hear. It ended very well, non-committally. I mean, I, I was going to say yeah. So, like, describe the ending and how do you review the ending? Uh, the ending was like, so the whole, okay, so first off, it's a fucking harem show or harem series, right? So whatever. Like, I I, I like that. It's a guilty pleasure. I was very disappointed when the author kind of copped out because, like, with a harem, you're uh, hopefully expecting, like, you know, a relationship to happen and, like, him to get paired up with somebody and like it was working up to that and it had like a really good lead up but the ending was so non-committal where it was like yeah they're together but really we're all together and i'm like what 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 is this <laughs> this weird incest harem and it was like oh, i don't really oh. like this if um yeah i've got i've got a joke if if dr zeus wrote his own manga what would it be called green eggs and home Oh. Instead of green eggs and ham, oh. green eggs and ham. Do you want me to laugh at that? Do you, yes. Uh, I won't. Kaguya Sama was in Winter Twenty. Anyway, you laughed a lot at that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, Kaguya. Kaguya is this is this is why the podcast is ending. Really. Oh my God. <laughs> 
I've gotten much better at moderating podcasts as it's gone on. It's like, I know how to really to win at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Kaguya-sama was a fun one. It's still a fun one. We're getting a third season started next year, I believe. But just uh, really taking that, that concept of will they, won't they to the next extreme and just like basing the entire show around that and just the level of mind games going on. And another, another thing is about Kaguya-sama is just like, when it decides to make that switch from comedy to serious, serious romance, it does so very, very elegantly and very, very strongly as well, where there is real progress that's made, not just with the main pair, but the characters outside of their sphere as well. Um, really going back to, okay, yeah, these are really fun experiences, but they are real people um, in the end as well. And looking forward to third season, my friend just really freaked out about the most recent manga chapter. I have no idea what happened in it, but he was freaking out about it, so... Looking forward to see what happens there. Carolyn Tuesday, spring of 2019. Did any of you watch that? No. no. You've talked about it before. Yeah, yeah I know I, I brought it up on the podcast at once. But yeah, um, I, I really enjoyed it. It's, uh, Carrie, I do think you would really enjoy this one. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because it's all about music. And Ooh. what I was really, really impressed by was just like the sheer variety of songs in this um, show as well. The variety of genres from walk walk um, rock pop hip-hop um rap uh edm um scat scat uh what, what scat uh no uh jazz scott scott oh, scott yeah yeah <laughs> um and just like all all in various languages as well and again very diverse cast as well like cool. one of the main protagonists is a black woman um and the, the two the two protagonists are both women as well, and just the cast they meet as well. And it all takes place on Mars. What, what okay. more could you ask for? Sweet. Um, I, I, really, I really do think it's something on Harry's. Yeah. I'll, I'll add, I I'll think add, you would like it. I'll add it to my watch list, yeah. Yeah. I think it's another one where the first half is stronger than the second half, but the second half is still good, and it, it ends well. It has yeah. it has a nice message. Um, How heavy are the dumbbells you lift? That was a <laughs> show. I, I don't do weightlifting, but... <laughs> If I did, uh, bang, I, would, banger I would be weightlifting whilst watching anime, specifically the anime, How Heavy Ever Dumbbells yeah. You Lift, Yeah, which I have uh, not seen. Yeah, I, I think I can speak for me and Kyle and a lot of people, just like how surprised we were at the accuracy of the show, how just how much it emphasized proper form and proper safety uh, when when exercising and lifting weights and just the, the various weight muscles that these uh weights work as well it, it was definitely a horny oh, yeah. blob show oh, yeah. at its core but there is there was more to it than and then machio was the best boy that whole the whole season as well um dr stone started summer 2019 Ooh. i know harry you watched some of this right i want i've seen all of it all two oh, seasons you seen, oh, so you're caught up okay nice so yeah i i thought season one first half was okay but the second half it really started to come into its own a bit more yeah, um, when they got to the village, really. Yeah, yeah, it started to kind of ground itself a bit more, and and I got into it. But season two was awesome, like really, really yeah. entertaining. I thought season two was like a much shorter season. I think it was, it was like only half length, like twelve episodes. Yeah, it was half a season, but yeah. it's very snappy, very straight to the point. Season one was good, but it did take a while to really get going. Um, much like the development of technology over time, you could argue. Uh-huh. Uh, it took a while to get going. Uh, but yeah, when it got there, it got good. Uh, season two, though, from from episode one, was really, really cool. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I like Doctor Stone. I think it's a good show. Yeah, I I really, as a scientist myself, I, I always love it when any sort of media presents science in, in a fun way. Because yeah. I, I truly believe science doesn't have to be like just 
Ted's stuffed in a textbook. I, I yeah. know there's a way to present it in a fun way. And of course, like, it's all hokey nonsense the way that they do go about it. It's like, oh, yes, here's this kid who knows literally everything <laughs> that is in the universe that they can make. That's, like, just, a, that's just what makes it anime, isn't it? You, yeah. You've got to have that that silliness, that nonsense. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's why I watch anime far more than live action series because I like it when it's silly and it's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, have you yeah. seen season two of Doctor Stone? Yeah, yeah, I love oh, season okay. two. Same. I, yeah. I, I really, I really loved where it left off, and just like, again, surprisingly strong human emotions going yeah. through. Like that final episode with, with uh, main. I'm blanking on everyone's names. Main character uh, and main antagonist. Senku. Uh, don't uh, say. Yeah, Senku. Yeah, Sen- I'm not gonna say yeah, anymore. I'm not gonna spoil anything. Yeah, don't yeah. say anymore. Yeah, but yeah, Senku and him. That final scene. That was. Legitimately touching, and oh, I wasn't yeah. expecting that. I, it, I, it really went in some very, very solid narrative directions. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, ve- so I'm very am, excited to see where it's going to go for season three. Yeah, yeah, definitely looking forward to season three. But yeah, going back to the science, just like all the principles that they do talk about are true. Whether or not you could actually pull that off in the situation to end, that's debatable. But like all the principles they talk about is very, very um, much true. And I very much appreciate that about Dr. Stone. So yeah, good science, good storytelling, good characters. I want more. Give yeah. it to me. Um, Vinland Saga, summer of 2019. That is a brutal show. <laughs> that is a brutal show. What did you say, Kyle? I love it. I love history. I love Viking history. Um, Full disclosure and fully candid that Vikings committed unspeakable atrocities. And I think the show, (laughs) the the series does properly contextualize that. But if you can compartmentalize that, it's fucking awesome. Um, But yes, the the series as a whole, like I I fucking love Vinland Saga. It's great. So I I watched like the first seven-ish episodes, I think. Um, And... So, so I I had a little issue with it, but I don't, it's probably just like a petty thing, and I probably do need to pick it up again because I do remember it being quite good. But what I found peculiar is, for me, of anime, if it's going to be silly and bonkers, that's absolutely fine. I, I actively encourage that, but I want it to really commit to it. What I found odd about Vinland Saga tonally, it didn't quite click for me, is it felt like quite a gritty, serious show, mm-hmm. or like, like it was going to try and be that. Yet there were moments that still felt a little bit unbelievable and a little bit fantastical. And I felt like it was stuck between these two aesthetics of trying to be quite gritty and grounded and serious, whilst also having some kind of silly anime moments that that felt like, well, that couldn't happen in real life. And I sort of just felt a bit like where I couldn't get a grasp of its rules or its, its aesthetic of what it was going for tonally. However, that's only after the first seven or eight episodes. So I realize I probably need to watch a bit more. But yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I think I can see where you're coming from on one, like the very opening scene when uh, Thor, Thor's, yeah, is like jumping from boat to boat, slashing and whatnot. Yeah. Like that, that was that was odd. Um, and then also Thor, the character Thor kills, um, just him as a character in general. I feel like that's where the kind of rule breaking comes into play a little bit mm-hmm. i'm not sure if you got to a specific fight with him but just like the way that he just how invincible he seems on the battlefield for uh, a man in no armor sort of is can be yeah. unbelievable in that kind of sense so i, I like, can see where you're I'm, coming from i'm absolutely fine with that stuff but commit to it yeah. like really yeah. commit to it don't try and be gritty and serious if that's what you're doing simultaneously it's the same as if like i watch like a kind of a a detective kind of like crime sort of anime 
either make it bonkers and silly and have fun with her or make it grounded and realistic. But don't kind of do the, the two of them because then I, I just can't get a grasp of what it's going for tonally. Does that kind of make sense? Mm. It makes sense. I think it really settles into its tone as the show goes on and that, yeah. that silly goofiness really starts to to fade more and more as situation becomes more and more dire. Yeah. Um, and especially as the relationship between Thorfinn and uh, Askeladd develops as well, mm-hmm. just like Askeladd uh, is one of the most intriguing, and I hesitate to even call him an antagonist. Like, I don't know what to classify Askeladd as. He's not an antagonist. He's not a protagonist. He's not good or bad. He is purely just Askeladd, and he has so many facets to his personality and his driving motivation, mm-hmm. uh, why he does the things he do, does. And you're never quite sure if he, he doesn't even know quite, quite know like why he does the thing he does the things he do, does. And just the impact he has on Thorfinn and the the path he sets him out on is just really uh, mesmerizing to watch uh, mm-hmm. amongst this, this landscape of carnage and uh, bloodshed. Uh, like Vinland Saga right up there with Berserk is one of those worlds where I... I'm glad I didn't have to live during those times. <laughs> mm. it, that, that's something that definitely makes it clear there. Uh, but yeah, the second season for that is coming out 2022, I believe. So get more of that eventually. I, man, I wish we didn't have to wait so long in between seasons sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like up to a year is when, is the sweet spot. Like a year break and then that's it comes That's why I've just nice, like, like stopped gets- watching or reading anything really until something is just fully out just because like I have been burned. Well, I haven't been burned. I've burned myself out quite a few times from like following up the series, getting current and then being like, okay, well, I don't want to do this on a weekly basis. Like I was caught up with One Piece at one point and that was like at chapter 500 and then I blinked and then there were like 300 chapters. And then it's still going on, so it's like ah, it's it's a whole commitment. Mm-hmm. But it's a commitment uh, that's more than worth doing, I will say. <laughs> well, we'll we'll make that com- we'll be able to compare them side by side when the live action comes out. Hell yeah! So I think I'm the only one that watched this, but Ascendance of a Bookworm. I've yes, I think you I'm might be that. the only one that watched. Okay, that. yeah, yeah. So Ascendance of a Bookworm was fall 2019. It is an isekai. Um, but it's a very well done isekai. It's not, it doesn't have an overpowered protagonist and we'll be wrapping up. This is the end of the list here. Um, my, I, the sentence of bookworm is one of those shows that really emphasizes the difference between, uh, living and surviving. If that makes sense. Like what, what does it mean to actually live and what does it mean to just like survive? Um, and as the show goes on, it really, really emphasizes that that differentiation um in mine's character like mine's whole driving motivation is that she just wants to read books and she gets reincarnated in this world where it's like old medieval setting before the printing press so books are insanely expensive and she can't afford them so she's like fuck it i'll just make my own then but it's very hard to make a book in those times Mm -hmm. and it goes from there and you feel like she has this weird like sort of magic eye things like oh boy here we go here's her like Isekai power, but then you find out the true nature of what that is, and it sets the story in a completely different direction than what you expect. That is truly engrossing. That's when the whole dichotomy between surviving and living really shines through. Um, the beauty about Bookworm as well is that it's one of those shows that the characters it introduces 
become prominent characters before you even realize it. Like you think back on it, it's like, wait a minute, like since when were you like a core part of the story? Like you were just introduced initially as this side one-off character seeming sort of thing. And now before I even realized that you've been appearing like every single episode. And I think that's really indicative of just very strong storytelling, which go figure for our show all about books. Um, so yeah, I, it, I'm super stoked for season three. I wish people, more people would watch it. It does have a slow start. It has a very, very slow start. But if you if you get through that, you're you're in for some treats. That's it for the list. FGO Babylonia also happened. That was weird. <laughs> um, animated the seventh chapter of a mobile game. It just shows how much of a gargantuan beast FGO is that they could do that and still make money back because the new fans of the game alone would recoup <laughs> the cost. So that was a thing. That's going to be bring us to the end of 2019, though. We only have 2020 left then, and that will be our ultimate episode as well going into that. So we, I'm, I'm going to try to think of some, some things that we can do for a send-off that I might be able to come up with. May not. We'll see. Don't promise anything other than the wrap-up of our trip down memory lane. But it's going to be our last episode for the very foreseeable future maybe until we the could, One Piece uh, live action comes out. Maybe it's <laughs> like an end. We could kind of launch an OnlyFans where we just post nudes together. <laughs> oh, boy. Just as like a sort of, a, a kind of a, a send-off. Psych, we're not gone. We're just in a different medium. Give, yeah, I say give fans what they want. Uh, yeah, nudes of the anime podcast members oh, for yeah. sure. Yes, obviously. <laughs> but first, we have our penultimate closing and shout-outs. So we're going to start, as always, with, uh, I think you were the Marquis. Okay, first of all, is it Marquis or Marquis? I feel like I've heard it pronounced both ways. Uh, if you're going with the French pronunciation, it would be Marquis. The S is silent. Yeah, because I've definitely heard people's. Okay, so I'm, I'm half French, so I should say, should say it the French way. So Marquis, Marquis Harry Morris, what would you like oh, to okay. shout out? What would you like to promote? <laughs> Uh, I know no French, I'm afraid, so that was completely lost <laughs> on me. Uh, yeah, I'm Covers and Music on Twitter. Check me out. Um, in terms of what I want to promote, um, I I said last episode I've, I've started playing Dragon Quest Eleven again for my fourth playthrough. I'm still playing it. I'm getting to like the 90-hour mark now. I'm in the final part of the game. It is just one of the greatest games ever made and the best game of its genre the best kind of classic turn-based RPG sort of game. Um, it is just amazing. And I know it's a popular game, so it's not the most exciting thing to promote. But if you've never played Dragon Quest XI-S, please, please, please get it. Uh, you can get it now for, for like PlayStation, Xbox, Switch. Like, like I think you can get it on PC as well. I'm not 100% mm-hmm. sure. I believe it's on PC. Yeah. I think you, you can. So you can get it on you can get it where whatever platform you've got. Uh, it is so worth it. Even if you're getting a full price, if you're getting like 40 quid, in fact, I don't even think it is that. I think it's it's even a bit cheaper. It's like 30 quid, 35 quid. I'm not sure. But but like, even if you are paying a like full price for it, it is so worth it. Um, I would recommend it tenfold. It's so good. So that's my very popular, but very good recommendation. And then Duke, Kyle Rogashon, what would you like to shout out? You can find me at Like the Rogue on Twitter, and I'm gonna go ahead and shout out Final Fantasy 14. You know what? Oh, okay, well, whatever. Hey, I'm having fun with it. Uh, I'm back I'm, into that now as well. I'm uh, finally out of Heavensward. I'm getting into Stormblood. Uh, it's Heavensward is a tough act to follow. Stormblood <laughs> is okay. It's a little basic, but I don't mind it. Um, I really, I just want to get uh, caught up in current because there's like what three weeks left. 
So I think I can. Uh, I think I can make yeah. it if I sprint. Uh, you keep thinking. Oh that. man! Oh man! <laughs> Uh, I'm also trying to play catch up right now, although I'm much more current. I just have like the last final parts of Shadowbringers to uh, wrap up and then I'll be current and ready for Endbringer. Uh, as for myself, Cult Matthew Pontier, you can find me on Twitter at MusingMojak, M-U-S-I-N-G-M-O-J-A-C-K. You can also find me on uh, Twitch. However, I am going to be taking a, a break from streaming for the month of November, coming up on my one year anniversary of streaming. And I, yeah, could you, could you use a break? Just use a break. I'll still be doing a... Uh, weekly art practice streams on Wednesdays. But as far as regular Monday and Friday streams, gonna take those off. I might do a gorilla stream here and there if I feel like it. But at the very... That was great. At the very, <laughs> at the very least, I won't, it's not gonna be a regular thing. So yeah, just to kind of give, take my, give myself a break. But otherwise, you can usually find me on Twitch at using Mojek as well. Um, also the anime editor on Goombasop. We are currently putting together our seasonal viewers guide for this current fall season so look out for that going up in the coming weeks as well and that will be a wrap so for the penultimate time thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time ciao